Welcome to the Good Cities Podcast with news and information about city movements around the world. Brought to you by GoodCities.net. In this episode, Glenn Barth interviews Reggie McNeil, city coach for Good Cities. Reggie discusses the four information revolutions. The fourth information revolution brings with it mass customization and radical decentralization. He then lists the challenges and opportunities for the church that come with this time of massive change. Hi, I'm Glenn Barth. I'm the president of Good Cities, and it's my pleasure to have with me our city coach today, Reggie McNeil. And uh, Reggie, it's a pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Oh, it's good to spend the time with you always. Thanks so much. You know, Reggie, uh, you speak and write a good bit about the future of the church, or more precisely, what challenges the fu- the, the uh, future poses for the church. One thing we know for sure, we're in an era of massive disruption. Um, how does this dynamic frame your, your understanding of what the church faces in the years ahead? Glenn, all over the country, I, when I do pastors' conferences and leadership events, uh, even uh, down to the lay leader level, it's like a bunch of deer, you know, staring in the headline. I mean, this, this look of what has happened. I mean, we, we know something uh, is up, but trying to get a, a way of talking about it so that we can try to figure out a way of dealing with it is such a big part. And our, the first responses typically are in ages of disruption are to, you know, blame processes that are already on the table and all that. Well, what about if the world is so new that it doesn't matter that you get everything right that you were doing before, it still won't matter. And that's exactly what I'm trying to tell folks. Hey, this is not your fault. I mean, we can criticize, and I've done a fair amount of that in my own writing, deconstruction of church and what we could do better and all that. But ultimately, when you go back up to the 30,000, 40,000 foot view, something's going on in human history that is beyond anything that we control or we only just get the implications of the results of it. And, and fundamentally, uh, what I'm referring to is the fourth information revolution. It is changing everything. Uh, and every time an information revolution comes along, the world takes time to adjust to it, uh, sometimes a century, sometimes longer even. And we're in the very first years of this new information revolution. So no wonder folks are standing around going, what do we do about this? Because it's, it's, it is an age of chaos, really. Yeah, I get that. And uh, you've just thrown out a big term, the fourth information revolution. What were the first three information revolutions? Well, the first would be the invention of writing, um, and that uh, that happened uh, Mesopotamia. The Sumerians are generally uh, attributed to this, the 3,500 to 3,000 BC, somewhere in that time frame. Scholars differ on it, but it also uh, happened in Egypt. Uh, it emerged in Egypt, uh, maybe connected to the Sumerian uh, discovery there or invention, but it also happened in China a couple of centuries later and doesn't seem to be connected, although uh, you could argue along the, the, the trade routes that it, it made its way there. But then you would have to give an explanation for why in Mesoamerica, uh, you know, you have the, uh, the, in the third century BC, you have the invention of writing. So it seems that, that this, this kind of popped up all over and it changed everything because what it did is that even though people had ways of doing mathematics and keeping ta- uh, tablets and, and track of things like uh, with pebbles and 
clay tablets and all that kind of stuff, inventing language that could convey meaning, precise meaning. I mean, you knew what four grains of rice or four tablets meant, but the number four spoken, you know, that that takes on, uh, that's an interpretive uh, mode until you can get it down in writing. So this enabled the capacity of human beings to begin to share knowledge, share insight, share meaning. Now, the second information revolution uh, was the invention of the book. And, um, and, and particularly what I mean by that is the codex form, because uh, papyrus and scrolls, of course, even the time of the Old Testament and, and Jesus' day was, uh, was the major way that people would, uh, were uh, capturing writing and, and, and uh, putting their information together. So when Jesus stands and asks for the scroll in Nazareth, you know, they hand him the one, uh, maybe, or two, three copy. Maybe they had more than that. But people didn't come to the worship center with their individual scrolls. I mean, uh, they couldn't do their daily Bible readings. They didn't have a Bible. And, and so uh, Jesus would read from that scroll. And imagine how long it would have taken for everyone to, you know, share that, you know, everyone working their own scroll trying to get to it. Well, someone finally figured out, we can cut this sucker up glue it down the left side and, uh, and put it together and we can ha- and number the pages and we can all get to the information much quicker. It changed everything. I mean, it laid the found wor- foundation work for classroom knowledge as opposed to uh, so that one to the many uh, could, could be communicated. I mean, the implications of this are enormous. The third information revolution is the printing press, which of course set up not only just the capacity, <laughs> talk about disruptive technology, uh, you know, Three, four people working a printing press, even if only one of them could read, another three couldn't even read, could produce books, uh, manuscripts at a much faster rate than uh, a year, a team of monks, you know, uh, collecting and, and uh, copying manuscripts down. And so that changed everything. It made the Reformation possible. It fueled the Renaissance uh, and created the modern world that we have, which uh, enabled mass standardization. Uh, the curriculum basis for education in our school system, all of that rests on the printing press because you you made information that could be standardized and and made available to folks to share. So those were the first three. Um, And this fourth one is is what I call, or many folks would uh, call the digital uh, revolution. And that's turning information into digital form, which then allows you to share that information in multiple, uh, uh, m- across multiple platforms and, and literally uh, can change the information. I mean, you, you, your DNA ultimately will be digitized. It, it, the information, the genes you carry, and that could be turned into music. I mean, we could actually hear your song. Uh, and I mean, this is where we're headed. And, uh, and this is where we already are, as a matter of fact. And so, yeah. You know, as you you bring this up, uh, one of the things that I recognize right away is that in each of those information uh, revolutions that you mentioned earlier, um, those who recognized what was going on uh, actually used it to either solidify or to take power. I mean, there was power involved at various levels. I remember uh, reading about uh, Celtic Christianity and one of the really attractive features of Patrick coming to the 
you know, as a, as a monk bringing the, the uh, good news of the gospel to the people of Ireland, the royals loved the fact that Patrick was a person of the book and was teaching people how to read. And, uh, and they wanted their children to gain this ability to move from an oral culture to a, a people of the book. And uh, so that was very powerful. In this information revolution now in the digital age, there's a lot of power also associated with the, uh, the ways in which this is impacting people, in the, not just in our culture, but in every culture of the world. What, oh, what are some of the ways that it's impacting our time? And how, how is this uh, you know, impacting the kind of power that people are seeing in this uh, digital revo revolution? Well, it's, it's, it, is a democrat, it is a radically democratizing, even though there's power involved, there's a shift of power in it because people now have access to information on their own that doesn't need to be communicated or interpreted to them by people in authority. This is what's, uh, uh, whereas the, uh, since we're in the, both of us in the church world, I mean, think of the implication from moving to, from a teaching a pulpit uh, pastor who was the most educated person in the room uh, who could probably, you know, in the printing press era, in the modern, early modern era to where we are today, where folks can access uh, better sermons than I can preach. And, and uh, you know, and they can do it while I'm preaching. <laughs> and I mean, the, the ubiquity of information and knowledge now, um, I mean, we can pull information, we can pull, we can suck the library of Congress out of thin air on our smartphones. Uh, so it's an enormously democratizing, um, and, and, and this is why governments, uh, you know, in totalitarian regimes realize this, and this is why there's so many uh, restrictions on digital information in those cultures, because uh, unless you can, when you can control the information, as you made the point, you, you, you have the power center. Well, now, you know, I go to WebMD to figure out, you know, so I can tell my doctor, what I think about uh, you know, the diagnosis for what I have. And I just go to him because he's the, he can write the script for what I need. Uh, you know, as soon as I'm able to do that, then, you know, it's a, it's a terrifying thing. Right. Uh, so um, we, it, it has, or music, take the world of music. I mean, once you, I mean, you and I had to go to, you know, a record store and buy music. I mean, this idea of downloading uh, one song that we really like and, uh, and customizing. I mean, it, what the digital world allows us is the customization so that our, our, our wallpaper on our phones and our ringtones and everything about our lives becomes customized and, uh, and customizable. And, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, sending your measurements off to a tailor uh, and picking out your fabric and getting your suit delivered to your door uh, instead of going into the department store and having to settle on something that they have on their shelf. I mean, just on and on and on, the implications are enormous. By the way, the folks in the music industry fi have figured it out um, in terms of, you know, the Spotify's and, the, and, and all that kind of stuff, how to deal with royalties and all that. Uh, the print people, the folks that are mostly tied to the last information revolution, the printing press, are, are struggling the most with uh, how to deal with uh, ebooks and, and what's available to people and, 
and hanging on to the power to publish. And, but we're seeing that breakdown all over. So it's fascinating because people who are deeply rooted, like the educational system, for instance, in the old world, I mean, we, the church is, but there are other institutions as well. I mean, banking had to figure out how to digitize uh, money so that, uh, that that's uh, movable and, um, and, and, and customizable. And, uh, but education struggles because it's built on a system where there's one information giver uh, who, who then broadcasts that to a bunch of listeners. Well, that makes no sense in a current digital world where, um, you know, the, the kid can get more stuff than the teacher can teach in a whole year and over the single, you know, one night stand with his cell phone. So what becomes the role then of the classroom or the teacher, or is there a role? Or why do we have, uh, uh, you know, real estate? And why are we uh, tied up with all the administration? And why do we have yellow school buses collecting people to take them to a central information dump? I mean, these are the kinds of, of questions that are raised when you have new disruptive technologies. And of course, this is disruptive to the church as well. So uh, mass customization also means uh, radical decentralization of uh, decision-making and, uh, and the locus of power. And uh, one book that uh, we might even recommend to folks would be The Starfish and the Spider. If you haven't read that book, it's a great book about the power of decentralized uh, uh, action and uh, just uh, really well done. It's uh, by, uh, let's see, one of the authors is Beckwith and uh, should be able to find it if you look that up. But uh, Reggie, when you think Sorry, about Brackman. this, one yes. of the things, what's that? Uh, yeah, I was just uh, citing the author. Go ahead. Uh, one of the things that uh, that you concentrate on is what what are the implications for the church? I mean, you've you've mentioned a number of industries and how they've been totally disruptive and had to change their model. What are some of the implications for the church? I, I don't expect right now you can name all the implications. We might have to do <laughs> some future podcasts, but what are some of them that are some of the broad strokes? Let's just take uh, people development or discipleship as an, as, as, an, uh, as an illustration of how profoundly this impacts. Uh, as you said, uh, mass standardization has been replaced by mass customization. Yet many of our church processes are still using standardized approaches like in discipleship. You want to be a good disciple? Here's what you do. Uh, and here's the path you follow, and here are the processes, and here are the steps. I mean, every time I hear step or I hear, you know, path or whatever, these are linear, uh, and we're assuming that people are all on the same running track, for crying out loud, which is absolutely uh, a ludicrous assumption. I mean, uh, you know, in, in the world that you and I grew up in, we had to go to a bank to bank. We had to go to, um, you know, a music store to get music. We had to go to a pizza place to get pizza. I uh, had to go to a movie theater to watch a movie. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And, and, and we had, and we went to church to get our religious or spiritual experience. What a, well, I mean, here we are in a world of 24 seven. So people's own spiritual journeying, uh, we've got to take into account that they no longer think about coming to church or, or an increasing number of them, I should say, no longer think about why should I stop my life and, and, change my uh, habits and, and, uh, and stuff and make room for a gathering on a weekend or, or something else. Now, we will make room for the stuff that's important to us, but particularly as we think about engaging people who are 
uh, early on in their spiritual journeys or who are just looking for God, we've got to, we've got to understand they don't automatically come to us looking for that. Uh, they're awash in a whole bunch of information, but let's just say folks finally do come to us uh, and we somehow, they are in the constellation of our influence. The old discipling models were so, uh, you know, curriculum based and curriculum driven and teacher dependent and real estate, you know, done by Christians on church. Well, you know, that, that makes no sense. Uh, in a world where uh, people, you know, may start at third base. They don't, they walk on on third base. They don't start at home plate and work their way around the, the base paths. Um, and, and so we've got to figure out how to have ubiquitous and asynchronous discipleship uh, so that we engage with people right where they are, uh, right in what they're doing. Um, and which is going to be, it is an exciting challenge, uh, but one, quite honestly, that, that uh, a heavy program-driven model uh, struggles to put our minds around. Um, I could go on and on, but uh, the problem is uh, we've already lost folks at the end of this podcast that we're hoping for answers. I'm just saying the world is so disruptive, and we've we've got to we've got to figure our way forward in it. But if it's if we think it's a return to doing better what we've done before, uh, I, I suggest probably driving forward using a rearview mirror is not uh, a smart way to go at it. Well, Reggie, thanks so much for providing some insights into the kind of the, the broader brushstrokes of some of the changes that's happened. I, I suspect in our next podcast, we'll begin to get into some of the ways that the uh, church really has to adjust the way we're doing work and ministry to advance the kingdom in our time, given the changes in the mission field, given the changes in technology, uh, which is a big part of uh, of the change in the culture around us. And it, and it sets us up really, I think, for learning new ways that, uh, that we can grow in our faith in Christ. Um, and we'll be talking about that in some of our future podcasts, won't we? Yes. Uh, b- bottom line is, this is challenging the church to move beyond its single offering of congregational modality as the expression of church, which of course wasn't even the major expression of church to the third and fourth centuries, we have got to figure out uh, how to expand the bandwidth of how church expresses itself in this new information age. I think it's an exciting challenge and God must have a lot of confidence in us to have us alive at just this time when he could have put us in some place where things weren't going to change for two or three centuries. So I want to encourage our listeners uh, with that confidence. God's counting on you. Uh, the church is counting on you. The world is counting on you because people still need Jesus and they need the hope that he provides. So let's go get them. Well, I want to thank you, Reggie, for your words of encouragement and words of wisdom that you've shared with us on this podcast. And those of you who are listeners, we are counting on you to be people who actively live out your faith in this time in ways that are relevant and in ways that. Uh, we'll really begin to advance the kingdom in some new ways. Thanks, Reggie, for this time. We look forward to our next conversation. Thanks for listening to the Good Cities Podcast. We hope you'll subscribe and listen in on future episodes. To get more information about Good Cities, join our email list, or to find out how to get involved in making your city a good city, visit goodcities.net.